Welcome back to another episode of The Dead Kids of Derer. To look at this on the screen now. Woo! Sickles up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Children of the corn. Yeah. Children of the fucking corn. Too much corn for one hand. Yeah. Too much corn for one hand. Not with a K. Even though they corn does have a, children, a song called Children of the Corn with Ice Cube. That, that popped into my head when this came up. Children of the Corn, kid. Follow the leader. I think Corn's best album, if people like Corn. That was the peak. Yeah. That was a great fucking album. It really was. Though we're not talking about that song. We're talking about the movie. Keeping the logo from the book, I believe. No, actually, we got some fun facts about this as far as related to the literary word. This was a short story. Originally published in 1977, and I just learned this yesterday when I started to dig into it. I always thought it had just come in the night shift for first, and that it is short story compilation there. Mm. It was originally published in Penthouse. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Now yeah, that's so, kinky. That's yeah. kinky. <laughs> yeah, so there was some, like, kids murdering their parents amongst the fucking 70s bush, and yeah, it was good stuff. Well, yeah, because The Fly was actually published in um, Playboy. Well, so, I mean, that time, like, that was a big place for horror and sci-fi writers. Oh, what? Phenomenal writers like Ray Bradbury, you know, yeah. and all those guys mm-hmm. basically doing shorts for the men's magazines, you know, whether if it was the, the two that we mentioned or whatever. The interesting thing about it, though, was, like, King didn't really have to do that. He was already published at the time that he released the story, which is why it was kind of uh, kind of fucked me up that he w- he would release it in Penthouse. <laughs> instead of just save it to do what he did with it eventually, which was released on night in night shift. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about it, with all the uh, kind of uh, religious undertones of children of the corn yeah. and having it, you know, first show up in a penthouse magazine, I think is kind of, uh, kind of funny. It's got, a t- it's got, a, it's a touch ironic. It's a touch yeah. ironic. I don't think anybody that, any of the children of the corn would be very down with that. <laughs> Call me crazy. Be cooties. Cootie man. Be a s- sickle directly into the genitals. How dare you? Take it out, I like Twist this opening. It's got a great opening because you don't really know what's going on. You know what I mean? Right, it's so quick. It's uh, smooth. It's, 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 you know, for a movie that is going to be called Slow... It has its moments. You know, the score is what kind of drives it. It's really the only thing, in my opinion, that saves it. I, I never considered this to be, like, a great movie. Yeah. Um, I or, I mean, the, the it, it, to say it's an adaptation of a story, I guess. Like, 
the actual story of Children of the Corn is like eight pages long. It, it's not a very long story, even amongst short stories. Like King usually hovers around the fifty to seventy-five page. So like nineteen twenty-two, that one that yeah. they made into a movie on Netflix a couple of years ago. Yeah, that that story was still like 85, 90 pages long. Like this thing's like three paragraphs. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it works, especially oh, no, as a it was effective. story. No, it does. It was it was it was very effective. But to see it, what it they. Almost, oh, sorry, yeah, going ahead. No, but it almost reminded me of like what uh, Lovecraft did with The Outsider, which was turned into Castle Freak, because it was the same thing. That was only like a seven page, like a seven to ten page mm-hmm. short film. And I think From Beyond was like just that short little. So it's amazing how these filmmakers basically elaborate with this, with the material and carry it into these productions that they do, you know, basically expanding on, you know, the story. This is this is a wild opening talking about expanding on the story. Like like you don't even start here in the book. Like it's just it's just like why are we here? What the fuck are these kids doing? But we're we, we get a pretty like deep glimpse right away yeah. that these, these kids have already been pretty hard converted over to the the, the dude that walks behind the fucking rose and shit. <laughs> he who walks behind the rose. I wonder if this was just written for money. Like you one of you starving writer wrote it. Just to get like a check to eat, and then later in life they, you know, went and grabbed it up. Probably, I'm gonna guess so. Maybe a bid war, possibly between certain titles. I know a lot of like you were saying, a lot story. of writers had to kind of you know to pay the bills, write little short stories for you know Reader's Digest and stuff like that. I, I I'd buy that given the given the timing, because I mean Carrie had just come out. Um, which wasn't an instant hit. It's not like that exploded overnight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I'd believe that that's probably the case given the timing. And then he decided to include it in Night Shift years later when he had his money. And yeah. it makes sense. It's kind of surprising though, because most of the time when you when you sell a short story over to a magazine or something, you don't you don't yeah you don't retain the rights. So you're selling how, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't finate. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of interested to figure out how he would finagle that but give him a cut yeah it would have to be like a clause in the contract basically probably saying okay you can have but it's all about the contract and how it's written up and what's in there depending on if it's time for x amount they have to it then it reverts back to them or whatever the clause may be written up as yeah Mm -hmm. for sure when the hamilton do this same year as Terminator. Same year as Terminator. Came out mm-hmm. before, March 9th. My birthday. Ooh, happy birthday to you. Thank you. <laughs> 80, yeah, it was 84. Yeah. I like to think this was Steven's personal gift to me for my birthday. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would you think otherwise, Fisher King? Exactly. For real. That's the spirit. But that's, that's I think, I think the, the, how it hard the intro of this film goes it, it is actually to its detriment because then it slows right down. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, that was the kind of the formula. You kind of start like, especially in the eighties, you start your movie up with the bang in the first few minutes. Then you kind of have that lull that you go into it and you hit them with another bang, but it's all that timing and pacing. And it seems like in this movie, you know, I think it kind of has longer periods where that will hit 
Yeah. I mean, it's not as a tight and concise jump fest, I guess you would say, from the 80s. It definitely takes its time. It has some slow burn moments, but it's consistent and it works. It, it's it's consistent. It it does work. I think my I think my argue my biggest gripe with it is like I just see a lot of missed opportunity in like really yeah. ramping up the stranger in a strange land. Feel like these this boyfriend and girlfriend are just like not in Kansas anymore. Coin a phrase since they're in the Midwest. Like they really just kind of. I don't know. Something about that has always felt really janky to me. Like when they're first introduced to the the kids and then like how that all plays out. Like, I feel like it could have been done a little bit creepier. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be the best word I I, I would use for it. They really could have done it creepy. I will give them this though, considering this, this is one of the first horror films I remember that took place almost entirely in the daytime. They did not rely on low light or night or fear of the dark to, to get their point across, which I, I thought was really brave, especially since it's 1984 in the middle of like the slasher boom when everything was blue lights and just creepy people coming out of the shadows like with a fucking chainsaw. Like they, they went totally against the grain with that, so I give them props for that because that's, that was a fucking gutsy move given the trends at the time. John oh, Linda, sing it. Sing it, uh, Linda, Cinder. Sing it. She's dancing for you, Bill. Yeah, a little burlesque. <laughs> Look at those moves. That's the way. The 80s yeah. do a lot of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> that's true. Oh, dude, she went on to be a fly girl and then live in color. That's what that is. So I thought it was interesting in the short story. I mean, because these characters, you have to make them likable. But when I would read the short story, I was shocked at how much these people did not, were really not that fond of one another, driving across country, trying to rekindle this broken relationship. But there's no freaking way you could actually adapt it like that because you wouldn't like the characters. But you really do like these characters because, I mean, they're having fun, as you see, and you know, there's Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton just work really well off of each other, you know, having this likableness about them that's mm. so different from the, the source material. Well, I mean, that's that's King for you, though, in a yeah. nutshell. Like, he just, his character, and I think that's always been one of the strongest things about his writing. His characters have depth. They are human. That's what makes the horror that happens to them so heinous. Um, yeah. Most of the time, yeah. I mean, I mean, the big thing with uh, Stephen King is that, yeah, you got uh, you know the supernatural elements, you got all that, but I mean, ninety nine percent of what makes a Stephen King f- story is the psychological and the characters themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons I love it because I've always been kind of that I can watch or read a, a story and not give a, a care about the plot. The plot could be anything from Romeo and Juliet to, you know, a, any other, you know, story that's been used many a times. But but the characters, if the characters, you know, you just focus on them and they bring you through the story, that's, that's what, you know, 
entices you. That's what makes you watch it over and over again. It's called character development. Yeah. 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 And, and that's one of the best things about Stephen King is that, you know, he has, and, and the fact is that he does make characters flawed that a lot of times you're reading, you don't like the characters, but you can understand the characters because I mean, it's life. Yeah. There's a depth to it. That's, that's what they kind of did in the movie version to kind of flip it up. There's really not a whole lot of depth in these characters, but it's an eighties horror movie. That's not exactly, that's not exactly a con, so to speak, (laughs) as opposed to a pro, because that's just, that's the way this stuff was. So I get it, but no, the, 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 the difference there, it's really, that's, that's a hundred percent just a, we're still making an eighties horror movie here. Yeah. In my but opinion. but you do have to say that the kids have a little bit more of of a depth than let's say Michael Myers or, or Jason. Well, um, yeah, no, there's definitely a deeper as a whole. There's yeah. definitely a deeper mythology at work yeah. right yeah. off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially from a psychological standpoint, you know, as well. You know, I mean, these characters are definitely more. I mean, there's, there's, you, there's no denying, of course, what these kids did to their parents, you know, which is cold hearted. You know, you're murdering basically the people that gave birth to you. So when it comes to having these, I mean, I, I always saw this like a feral type of movie where, you know, whether it's like feral dogs or feral cats, you know, you have feral kids and, and showing what's the worst that they can do. And as we mentioned earlier, how the hell can you make this movie scary when it's shot in the middle of the day. And it's like another question, how can you make corn scary? But, you know, I, I think even a lot of that goes down to like how they filmed it. I mean, the cinematography, I think doesn't get enough pr- appreciation in this film because it's very good because it's so hard to take these elements and make something creepy in the middle of the day of all things. Yeah, I agree. They ever and have I mean- uh weed plants in the in the sequels did weed ever make their way into it like like children of the corn 420 <laughs> <laughs> you know the i the sequels got dumb enough where maybe i don't know i can't even say that i've watched them all i think i've seen the first three <laughs> and that's that's about where it stopped for me that's good yeah. that's this is a tough one to get through and that was like the seventh one i forgot how many they actually made but I this mean, has the most <laughs> And the fun fact, this has the most sequels for any Stephen King movie. That's what this says. And their trivia. Well, and it was really interesting because the sequel to this uh, and then the sequel to Hellraiser when uh, after it was three, mm. Dimension, Dimension basically was starting to come into its own element um, over at, what the hell, what, New Line. And um, they were the ones who were basically releasing the sequels. And they basically were able to get the rights to the Children of the Corn and um, Clyde Barker, uh, Hell- the Hellraiser series. And they were able to kind of sequelize everything. So it's, yeah. it's definitely interesting how they will take a movie like this, which is essentially is a short story, make it into the feature that it is. And then it's like, you know what? We have sequelitis here. We we can do more. And it's really, because some sequels are better than others. And 
Uh, I, I was really surprised with the box set because I really liked the first three a lot. Urban Harvest yeah. was cool. I enjoyed it. It's not a bad movie. I mean, no. it, it's just different. The and times. I think people are afraid to be different. And But when, when you're doing sequels, you have to be different. Mm. I, I like when that came out. Like, I remember when that came out. That's why I like that movie a lot. You know what I mean? I think that was a... Like a lot of us were starting to, you know, be able to get more in, more direct horror at that point in our uh, movie watching. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, that was my introduction to the Children of the Corn movies. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen the original one, and I saw it on the uh, the old video store shelf, and I went, ah, fuck it. You know, 12 years old, that looks fucking creepy. I'll watch it. Why not? Well, I got into part three before I got into the first one as well because yeah. I knew it was the kid from Demonic Toys. And I'm thinking, well, Daniel Kearney, he's not, he was good in that. Let's give this a go. The and- full moon connection, baby. That's exactly why I picked it up. I saw the fucking Demonic Toys kid on the cover and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and interestingly enough, I mean, you have Screaming Matt George doing the effects in the sequels. And, um, oh, who the hell was oh. it? Uh, a, very, a very, very young. Charlize Theron, I believe, makes her first film in um, Urban Harvest Part Three. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, a lot of people Sorry. got their actually. A lot of people got their starts in the sequels. You know, wow. to, to a lot of people theory. got their starts in horror. Period. Yeah. My favorite redheaded nerd, I think, is in Part Four. I don't know yeah. his name. I just call him my favorite redheaded nerd. I know exactly <laughs> you're talking about. I don't know his name either. That was a stereotype, unfortunately. He didn't get That's Pete fine. and Pete, but he got this. <laughs> Part four has got one of my favorite death scenes, I think, in all of them, where they uh, they like rip the kid's head off, but like they pull it, pull his spine out. And if I was killed in a horror movie in real oh, life, oh yeah, they gave him the Sub Zero in real life. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how I wanted that in real life was, horror movie. Yeah, that was that was Part three when. Yeah. Um, part three? Yeah, it was. Part yeah, three. that was when the head, the head extends off and his spine is still, you know, chilling. Yeah. yeah, I believe that was actually a screaming mad George effect. But he did great stuff, like like Bride Reanimator and uh, you was know, The Giver. Um, did he do Return of the Living Dead three? Um, he did. Yes, he did. It had uh, that vibe. He, I believe. He, I believe he did that with Steve Johnson. Word up, your boy, Bill Steve. Look at this romance. Thompson of makeup effects artists. Very romantic scene for Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's yeah. what that is right there. Yes. Yeah, because first they hit the kid, then they then they're like, you know, don't worry about it. Let's let's be romantic here. It's like, what are you talking about? He's in my relationship goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sure, let this vehicular <laughs> homicide get between us, baby. <laughs> hey, 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 I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants, no matter when or where. <laughs> you got that, buddy. Oh, I mean, as long as they don't start using limbs as sex toys, it's cool. <laughs> no, that's I, I what I'm uh, the sequel. <laughs> Listen, I got lines, all right? I drive to Rom and Sand somewhere, man. <laughs> He's a habitual line stepper. Habitual line stepper. There you go. The kids see him. That's it. The cornrow. Habitual cornrow stepper. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure my boy's about to make his debut in the film. I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of Malachi. 
Yeah, he was uh, right in the beginning he scene. Was in the, the beginning oh, yeah, that's right. Like that. That's right. Pinball. Yeah. What was confusing was, like, there was a waitress that walked out with them. She was young enough to be allowed to live. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had a cutoff. I think it was, like, I'm not sure. I forgot what it was in, in the story itself, but in this, it was 18 years old. If you're oh. under 18, you're allowed to go. You're allowed to live. Yeah. And then you sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Well, yeah. Well, what if what if you like uh, feel yourself as an eighteen year old, uh, even though that you're a lot older? Well, I identify as an eighteen year old. <laughs> Hawk, on, on an average, I'm somewhere between twelve and ten. So, I mean, I wish, but you I can't mean, kill me. I'm mentally too young to die. Interestingly enough, the guy who played Isaac was like twenty four years old. But yeah, yeah he was. Like, he, 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 yeah. I was like, yeah, he's not he was a child. Already, he was no, already. I Much love older. him. Well, between like Malachi and Isaac, it's like to me they're the biggest eye candy in this movie because they they're just so mad, and I love that. Like, um, I guess you would say like Southern pastor, you know, kind of brimstone and fire, but just going with corn to corn and just so it's it's really I don't know. Oh, it's oh, really they they absolutely went for it. I, I oh totally. And there's one other kid that goes forward too, and I'll point him out when we get to it. He's a little later in the movie. It's during a, one of the running scenes, but it's really funny. John Franklin. That's his, the gentleman's name. He was like 26. He was the Frankie Muniz of his time. Mm-hmm. And he came back for one of the later sequels. He did. Too. And he wasn't looking good enough, man. No. Yeah, well, and now it's because you know he was 73 at the time. He was 73 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Jesse? Oh, I said he didn't look good in this either. Oh, fair. <laughs> That's why I think his fair he's fine. that was the key ingredient to the scariness of his character in this is that you can tell something's up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's like Esther from the from Orphan. Like yeah. you're like it's a kid, right? I think, right? <laughs> I think. Well, right? she ended up being older, right? Yeah. Well, she is older. She was older at the time. She was like 20 when they shot Orphan 1. I think she's like 31 now. And that was um, based off a real story, too. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. fucked up. Talk about fucked up kids. Frank- <laughs> Franklin played Cousin It in, Adam- in the Adams Family movies as well. Fun fact. Yes, he did. So that could sh- that shows you that he was of a small stature already. Mm-hmm. Little person. Well, not quite. Not quite. I don't, not quite. I'm, I'm not sure what. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just not sure no, what. I think he had like a uh, like a Benjamin Button type deal. Not to be offensive. Who cares about being offensive? There's a thing going on right now in, in like I've seen in um like A and E like reality shows. You know where they go and find all the tragic people. There's one where they got like a girl who's like 26 who looks nine. And I believe there's one with a little boy that looks eight or something like that, and he's like 30 years old. So it's kind of like that. Whatever that is, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not dwarfism. It's not that kind of affliction. There's just something. In they his, look older than what they actually are. And, some, uh, with, something scrambled in his <clears throat> genetic code, and he just doesn't yeah. fucking age right. Well, like, uh, people, like, people love to have that. <laughs> What's his name also had the condition? Um, William Hickey. 
Yeah. He was only 50 years old when he made the original Puppet Master, but he looked 75. Uh-huh. So, you know, some people have these, like, un, uh, unorthodox, I guess you would say, uh, genetic predispositions predis- where people will look older than they do or look younger than they do. And, you know, these are real afflictions, unfortunately. And when you work in a medium like this, you know, in entertainment, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to look this way. I might as well have a work to my advantage. Yeah. You got to lean in. Exactly. That's what it's called. Progeria. Progeria. Okay. There we go. Now we know. (laughs) This kid looks older with the hat on. We're fucking educated. Him and and Isaac used to fight on the set and he'd tell Isaac, it's no big deal. You look old. I look old with this hat on. (laughs) He, well, uh, he looks, he looks uh, more sure. Amish with that hat on, which I think by virtue, it's like, hmm, looks a little older there. Yeah. They definitely well, had a bit of an Amish vibe for in, sure. in, the, in the costuming design for this. Oh, yeah. Sure. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, considering how this story, these kids, you know, very much this fire and brimstone mentality, you know, kind of looking at like stories like, you know, Jim Jones, um, or even, you know, like the Amish just based off by virtue of the location, you know, because it does take place in Nebraska, if memory serves correct, um, where there's a lot of that type of stuff. I know people who've, you know, gone gone through and it's like, you know, a a lot of the stations, you'll hear a lot of, uh, you know, Baptist pastors, you know, speaking uh, the good word, as they say, but maybe on the bright side, on the bright side, it is, it is set in Nebraska. It actually looks like fucking Nebraska too. Yeah. We're not, we're not dealing with a sunny, sunny California, Nebraska situation, (laughs) which is good. Cause as, as we've been going on our odyssey, we've seen that many of these things do not look like the places that they're supposed to be. (laughs) No, this one one actually does. I have to give us props to pointing that out because I can't wait for the next series of films. Like, Hmm. Los Angeles for Maine, or is this actually is taking place where it is? Yeah, no, (laughs) I, I don't think any, there's very few King adaptations that actually got filmed. Where they, belong. Neck, where they belong. Very few. I think it's like the It remakes, uh, it, it, the It miniseries were all filmed in Maine. Um, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Um, even fucking Pet Cemetery, even though it looks like it was from New England, they filmed it in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking you're the, the remake or the original you're talking about? Uh, one of them. I'm I'm not 100% clear. I'm not going to commit to a statement on that. I know one of them was filmed in Oregon. I'm just not sure which one. Now, Courtney Gaines, he had a knife in the audition, and he held uh, one of the assistants hostage. That's how he got the role, supposedly. Fuck yeah. yeah what I'm talking about? My boy Malachi, man. You don't fuck <laughs> Definitely an extremist. You don't play around. Hey, sometimes to get the role, you got to show them you got the goods. You do some wild shit in auditions, man. Or at least I say I've seen some wild shit in auditions. I'm just sitting on the other side of the table like, okay. <laughs> hey, hey I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that, for that audition, man. Give me a call. I'll, I'll, I'll wow you. I'll come in with a bowie knife. And, and like I said, I'm selling a lot of things on eBay right now, Hawk. When I have money to pay you, we'll talk. <laughs> 
Woohoo! I like that. I like that. Someone who actually wants to pay people to work for him. I love it. I don't. I don't ask anybody to work for me for free, brother. You at least get fed, or you get something out on the back end. I, I don't. Nobody works for free. I like we, that. We don't like to say deferment up front. <laughs> yeah, I think it was interesting. I ended up talking to a girl that uh, she's not. Well, she's a woman, and now she's like uh, in her late thirties, and she actually grew up in an honest community and yeah. uh, and she made a comment that th- uh, there was a time where there was uh, a guy an adult interested in her when she was like 12 or 13 she said and she didn't even know about this and when like uh, the the adults found out about this because it was a pillar of the community and a married man they actually went to her and and you know, told that she had to, to pray for her soul and she had to, you know, dress down to be, you know, put on... Oh, know, yeah, of course it was her fault. Yeah, oh. and of course she's like, what? I don't even know this guy, okay? How uh-huh. how How is it my fault? And that was, she's like, that was one of the series of things that she had to deal with until she finally, uh, you know, got away from the community. But it's like... That's PG version. Could be All a lot worse. Yellow car? Yellow dog bandana? Yeah. What does it mean subconsciously? Corn, man. Talking about yellow corn, corn brother? Corn. Hey. I think, honestly, I think it was just a production design choice. They wanted it to pop off the corn stalks. That's, yeah. That's and really plus, here we have. Was. We also have to acknowledge while he's on screen, too, R.G. Armstrong, who is oh, yeah. a great actor. Um, you know, he was in Creep Show. Um, you know, definitely uh, an old timer that's been acting for a very, very long time. Took him, he did everything in one day. Fun fact. Nice. Woo! Didn't he pay yeah. the car? Well, <laughs> no. And actors of that caliber usually just want to try to get them in and get them out because those guys, you know, especially if they're older or if they're of a certain price, yeah, drunk they want to try to be, be efficient bang everything out in one day if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Shooting them out. But no, I definitely I definitely think the yellow was a conscious decision because like shooting in shooting in like outside like that, like and Matt, you you're you're as a director and we've all been on set, you when you're shooting outside like that and you're using that no clouds, all sun like mm. it does weird shit to your fucking camera if you're not it's almost working against you where yeah. you change up your palette that you need so you can, it's your focal point yeah. you know of what you need to look at i honestly don't like shooting on sunny days i really don't it, it really it really fucks you um as far as like what your color palette is that you can use some stuff is just gonna like beam like white, like like a white T-shirt on a bright sunny day is like the the white balance on your camera goes, <laughs> and it's just like fucking. It can talk to electricity. I don't know. It goes crazy, and uh, I just I can't. I personally hate it. So like I I I swear against shooting in this kind of thing. So it's kind of brave. And it's even worse on film. Like digital is one thing, but shooting on film in that yeah. kind of color, like they they got balls of fucking steel. 
because that that they had a hell of a cinematographer for coin. I got to back you on that, Stephen, from pre Mm-hmm. Say that again. Oh, it's just it looks mad cloudy, like in these scenes too. So maybe they just got lucky. Well, no, what? I don't. That's definitely that's definitely corruption. Afterwards, if you look at the shadows, like there's yeah. hard shadows on the ground. There's definitely I- heavy sun in the in the sky with that. And James, that's what I liked about the box, actually, because I liked how it was very overcast, and you know. I don't know if that was something that was... It was working. intentional. It was intentional. <laughs> okay, Overcast yeah. days are my favorite days to shoot outside. They're my favorite days to shoot, yeah. Especially it's like a, twilight. Yeah, it's a giant softbox in the sky, man. You, you, don't, you don't have a bad shadow. You can throw a light, one light in front of your actor, and you're fucking golden. Like, you don't have to worry about shit. Shooting on a day like that, man, ugh. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad scenarios with that. So I, I give them, like, props. Their cinematographer fucking... I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna back coin on what you said. They're sending a photographer knocked it out of the park because this shit's, this shit can be a pain in the ass. Yao Fernandez was the name of the cinematographer. That guy's the fucking man. Man, whoever he is, he's the man. He also, he also shot Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and missing an an action. So he's worked with Joe Zito a lot, and because he's he's another great filmmaker as well, coming out of the Canon films doing a lot of genre stuff as well. Invasion USA is one of my favorite Chuck Norris 80s films. You know what? That's probably... This movie probably got Linda Hamilton to hook up for Terminator if it came through canon. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because... That's wild. What was canon... Was was Terminator... Was that Helmdale or was that... um, It was canon. The first Terminator was canon. Yeah. He did, uh, he shot Children of the Corn, Fire 13th, Final Chapter, Missing in Action, uh, all in the same year. My second favorite Friday the 13th. How about that? I love Part 4. It's some of my favorite Savini effects, even though it's <laughs> completely butchered, you know. Well, they all are. It's so disappointing to me that there will never ever will be a director's cut of Friday Seven because I fucking love those Beatler effects and it's. Such I'm a so depressed. I'm still so depressed. Barbara Sachs, wherever you are, eat a dick. Seriously, seriously, that woman was Satan. On more than one production, it wasn't just Part Seven. She yeah. she, she fucked a lot of like that late '80s horror. He also did ORG, what happened to your dog, buddy? Blood Rage and uh, Deep Throat, the famous Deep Throat film he shot. Oh. Linda Lovelace? Not the porn. I don't think it was the porno one. No. 72. Hey, kitties on. Oh, it's definitely the porno one. (laughs) (laughs) Just covered in pussy over here, guys. Which I've never seen. Well, it's the day before Valentine's Day, so there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it is a skill. Not all of us can uh, acquire that much and in one sitting. Woo! Drowning in pussy. Ah, uh, see this. This is great though. Like, like again, like great cinematography. Mm. Like you've got that heavy, heavy, sunny light outside, and he's still like making it work inside the building. Yeah, like that's 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 the tough beautiful shot. 
That's 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 good <laughs> stuff, man. That is tricky. And the tools that they use, I mean, I love how they use those old barn, almost like Amish, you know, real made by man, you know, toes just it's vicious if you really think about it, because these things will just slice you open. I mean Well they're the kids of farmers, man. That's what they yeah. had to fuck people up. It was butcher knives, sides. Meat hooks. That uh, that opening scene when they put the dude's hand in the deli slicer, that always gets to me f- because, my God, dude, it hurt like it's a motherfucker, hurt. dude. That's no. got to hurt. And the kid's watching it, too, and then it's, you know, just like, you know, get a spray bottle of blood right on the kid's face. But it, it works. It's so yeah, effective. Strawberry shake. Reminds me of fucking Chunk in the Goonies. Hit yeah. puree! Like, yeah. <laughs> go all the way with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, that's I love that scene. Hey, you go to Baby Ruth. Oh, stuff. And I brought this fake puke on this ride, and then I started going. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is some cool action shots, like with like the corn, like in front of the car, on top of it. Like that's like that's some that's some. Did gamely shit like that had to take a little bit of doing to have the corn like in front of the car on, on, and as well as in front, like like that right there. That's no, you know what I mean. That's 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 some hell. That's crazy. Either crazy dolly work or you think that's fake? I know some of it's fake. A lot of the corn's real. They said, but there was a good chunk of it that was fake. Well, I would have seasonally was- heard too, and the production had to go in and spray paint a lot of this corn. From what I heard, so some of the stuff was in season, and some of the stuff was not in season. That was that was such a smooth ride without the car bouncing. I almost feel like that might have been on a road with fake corn put around it. Or it had to be. It it still looks awesome, but it had to be because no farmer with like a a a crop of corn is going to let you just fucking run it it all over (laughs) so you can fucking (laughs) shoot in front of it and shit. It had to be fake. I created I created storyboards similar to that for um, Toxic Origins. Um, uh, I've actually already started storyboarding some stuff, and basically, if you can have stuff whip past your camera at you know a certain speed and consistency, and you kind of have it on a dolly and bouncing, looks like stuff's going past you, and you know. It's brilliant. If it's, it's tricky, brilliant. but it's, it's tricky because you got to you got to time it to your frame rate, right? Because if you go too fast with it, you miss it entirely. If you go too slow with it, 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 it just gets really like janky. So yeah. it's it's a tricky. I know what you're talking about, Coin, but it's a tricky. It's a tricky gag because you is. gotta you gotta have it just so you gotta do a lot of screen tests with that kind of thing. But yeah. they fucking whatever they did, they fucking nailed it. Like it looked really good, but that corn was totally fake too. <laughs> But who knows? Because some stuff you have to test to see if it's going to work, and sometimes it's either it, or a happy accident in the end. I think they just went for that shit. I think they just, went for that as well. Yeah, yeah. but it looked awesome. It's wonder, great. Yeah. No, go ahead, Matt. I wonder if Mario Bava's Bay of Blood was an influence on him writing the story. You know, if he was got if it was just a quick thing for money, he would probably feel a lot easier to pluck from other places and. Bay of Blood, I believe, is the original. Well, they, some people consider it one of the original slashers. Period. But yeah. spoiler alert: at the end of it, it ends up being like towny kids, just like some young kids killing everybody, which is like a wild twist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
And oh, yeah. Know, comes back to the whole killer kid thing. because And Maddie, one of my favorite moments with you, and I, I miss hanging out with you, buddy, was when, was when we watched uh, Bay of Blood at My Place, and we no. basically were just hitting the peace pipe and snacking it up. But, you know, if you even think of, like, the children of the damned, you know, which goes even back into the no. 60s, or even to The Bad Seed, which is one of John Waters' favorite films. I mean, the killer kid like- concept definitely is a big element, you know, of the series. And there's something just naturally unsettling about the the dark side of what these kids can do, because as kids, we want to see, you know, be the ray of lights, excel, you know, and, and do well. But, you know, when they're shown this dark underbelly of what the human mind actually can do that young, it's it, it, that that's where I think King is really good at what he does. Cause the Tainted horror innocence, man. from somewhere, the taking of innocence or the loss of innocence. I remember yeah. Eli Roth was going to produce the bad seed like 20 years ago. It was going to remake it. Glad he did. It, yeah. It's a, it's a good flick. The, fl- the movie itself is pretty good. It's already had two remakes. I don't think it needs any. I don't think oh, it needs TV a third. Show too, didn't it? Yeah. And if we want to count uh, Macaulay and Elijah's yeah, contribution, The so. Good Son, it's had three already because yeah, The Good Son's is. basically the bad seed. Such yeah. a goddamn good movie. And I, I love the fact that it was also shot locally up in um, Manchester by the Sea. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Macaulay. But no. Kevin McAllister gone bad. <laughs> I think it sunk him. I, I think I think the bad seed sunk him. I, I think that's why we didn't hear okay. much from Macaulay after that for a while. I don't think anybody was ready for Kevin McAllister to murder people. Uh, I don't think so, yeah. Well, I, I'm extremely happy at how well Macaulay is doing now. Cause oh, he fuck was, yeah. He went through a rough patch. And I think a lot of kids in Hollywood, you know, it's a difficult transition for them to go up to that next level to be taken seriously as to go beyond just a child actor. And I think some unfortunately fail, some do succeed. But with Macaulay's situation, I love how he got into like podcasting. And I kind of see Macaulay almost like Jeff Goldblum kind of, but there'll only be one Goldblum, like there'll only be one Macaulay. But I love the fashion style he has, and I don't know. I'm going. I don't want to go too deep here, but I'm really glad Macaulay's doing much better than where he was. I agree. shout out Macaulay if you're listening. Yeah. Oh, Linda, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Such a cute rat. The scariest thing in the whole movie: rat of the corn, dude. <laughs> rat rat of the corn. Rat of the corn. That's that's part eight. Yes, yes. I think there's twelve of them. Eleven or twelve of these, right? All right. So that's part thirteen. <laughs> Scary. It is later revealed that he who walks behind the rose was a mouse the whole time. It makes Giant sense. Mouse. That actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. It does. That's <laughs> why. Like, yeah. 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 We'll make like a giant mouse, like a giant rat from the end of like trilogy. No, no, no. That's <laughs> it's gotta it's it, it it's gotta be just a plain old fucking mouse. That this just was a small all little mouse. This was all yeah. spawned by just one little motherfucker trying to find a meal. <laughs> like the end of the departed. Yeah. 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 
I think Mark Singer should have played this role, Beastmaster himself. He could. That would have been cool. It'd have been the right timing. He was. He was kind of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin it. Bacon. Kevin Bacon era a little bit. He was about Kevin Bacon was like I think a butt hair from popping with Footloose, so God. I think that could have been a reality too. Peter Weller's or Peter Weller there, RoboCop himself. This guy looks like all those actors. Yeah. He's very he's young, he's young enough in this back then, but I think he would have looked too old apart. Who, Peter? But I think, no. 84? No. Would have, this would have been fine. He'd have been right. It would have right up his alley. He almost got fired from Robocop for being difficult. I was watching a uh, show on the other day. Mm-hmm. He could have no, the, this guy, the, the lead, he's very much the, the, the archetype 80s yeah. male lead. He, he is that archetypical. And I mean, Linda Hamilton, even Linda Hamilton, like I know, like she had a career, a hell of a career in front of her after this, but I don't, I don't see anything. I mean, she's not really doing much special in right. this, in, in this one. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't have looked at her and been like, oh yeah. in like eight years, you are going to be in the greatest sequel ever made of all fucking time. And you are going <laughs> to absolutely kill it. It would not, it would not have been a thing that I thought. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting. Well, one thing about Linda I thought was interesting is I'm, I know how she was married to James Cameron at one point. And, um, probably this time. And but when, I, when I found out her husband afterwards, um, I gave me the biggest shit eating grin because I'm a huge fan of him as well. Uh, Bruce Abbott from Reanimator. Mm. and uh, Bad Dreams. Right. And I love, you know, I, I've always thought it was a really good actor. I didn't realize that she was married to him, you know, hmm. at one point as well. She's going to get Jeffrey Combs? <laughs> <laughs> no, cool. we like him too, don't worry. Yeah. Mr. Abbott aside. Dude. I don't think Linda Hamilton did much. Like, uh, you know, she did certain work, of course, but yeah, Terminator was it, right, for the most part. And this... Well, See, she ended up doing a lot of voiceover work. That too. Yep. Well, the voiceover, to... I think, might, might have been later. I don't think the voiceover was this early. No, on. she had a lot. She had a, she had a lot of voice acting work oh, in did. the late eighties. Yeah, mm. and she that, did Beauty and the Beast, which was uh, oh, that was yeah, with Ron Perlman. Perlman, yeah, yeah, with with Ronnie Pearls. Yeah, man, these two characters yeah. right here, I never enjoyed. I'll be honest, honest engine. I, I, I didn't. Rep- I don't. I found them to be unlikable, and I couldn't really root for him. But that's me, I guess. <laughs> He's not Jesse. You were going to say something? Oh, I just didn't know Ron Perlman was in uh, Beauty and the Beast. He was, the yeah, Beast. he played the Beast. Like was, the, uh, the cartoon or the remake? No, 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 a TV show. Action. Yeah, oh, this, this that's was why. A, yeah, this was a made-for-TV thing, and Stan Winston uh, actually did the uh, special effects uh, makeup for. Thought they needed it. The yeah. Beast. And oh, could have done it. Could have done it with nothing. Just let him on set. Yeah, and it was actually because they still had that life cast when that eventually went over to Mike Mignola's studio. And oh, for first, Hellboy, for Hellboy. And last night, I actually just watched the David Harbor version of Hellboy, and I was shocked. I actually thought it was really good. I don't know. It was why really crit- good. I don't know why the critics hated it. But it's like, okay, yeah, it's not Detour, it's it's not Del Toro, and it's not Perlman, but it's it's a good movie. Great effects, great story. And it's Neil Marshall. I mean, 
the descent. I mean, you know, just, you know, real good filmmaker behind it. <clears throat> I wonder when oh, say something. I think I talk too much. <laughs> you talk just enough, oh. just enough to make me happen. Well, I mean, I mean, um, I have to say that, uh, I, I, I was a big fan of the, uh, Harbor, um, not not saying just because he was a Perlman, I just I just didn't think that Perlman seemed to have kind of uh, and something more than a, a David Harbour just came off as a little bit too I don't know uh, annoying for me. No, no, I, I, know, I, I agree with that. I think the character is kind of the, uh, of Hellboy. There's a slight annoying quality to him. And I think Perlman definitely hit the nail on the head. And it's tricky to play that. But David oh, Harper is yeah. a very good actor. And, you know, I think if you look at his comedy stuff, even though there's not much, but we all think of, I think, Stranger Things because Hopper is a great character. And, um, but, you yeah, know, either way, they're definitely different. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought uh, the thing is when, when, Perlman played Hellboy. You, you had that, you know, kind of witty, you know, sarcastic aspect to it, but you also kind of had like a softer aspect to it. Um, Harvard just seemed to take the the witty, sarcastic part and just kind of went a little too much with it, I felt, which kind of just took away the likability of Hellboy, I thought. But and this was the first R-rated one because I forgot the other two were PG-13, even though there was a director's cut that was put out of the first one. But so it seemed that this one R-rated, you know, got to push it a little further. But look at this corn. I mean, you know, just, just getting nice back corn, to the movie. Yeah. Good corn. Exactly. Yeah, good fucking corn. Yeah, good, good corn. I mean, you don't want to know if you want to run, you know, uh, oh, backwards good. into the corn or if you run, run uh, forward into the corn, considering how good it looks. That's true. That's true. Do you want to pop it or just butter it up and go for it right there? Well, I mean, if you think about it, Chillin' of the Corn is the best move to eat popcorn with. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know, man. The implications that the later movies had about what the corn actually was, I don't think I'd want to put that on my body. I'm with you, Mom. Is that why it comes out whole? Yeah, Uh, no, I I don't want to birth he who comes behind the rose... (laughs) <laughs> out of my fucking anal cavity. No, thank you. <laughs> Come on, I like we it. all have yeah. stuff for, for I got I got kinks, but that ain't one of them, man. <laughs> gotta loosen it up for the femur, James. Oh, oh boy. Uh see, no. Grandma's femur, no. You like it. It was a good Hello time. House. More yellow with you gotta always house. try it once. Try it you once. You said you'd never tell, Jesse. <laughs> Little secrets every podcast. Just little little leaks about our <laughs> depraved personal. Lives. A little leak, I remember. Matt, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt, that dance was for you. Uh-huh. That dance was for oh, you. Oh, thank you, sir. I didn't even say it because I w- I got pizza coming, and the roommate just asked me, and I had to do a little pizza dance, and then <laughs> I'm going to dedicate it to you, Maddie. I feel like right. pizza dance. It's like Ron always. Perlman's on the screen right there, a little bit. Now, Linda Hamilton got a little bit of a Ron Perlman deal look to her. You know what I mean? She liked that. And uh, only a few years later would we see Beauty and the Beast. 
<clears throat> yeah, it was it was in that interim period between Terminator One and Two. It was like Television. right in that in that spot. Josh, you'd like it. It's probably on YouTube or something. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, it, I have a question. How many seasons did that go for? It was like yet. one. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, it wasn't was absolutely. It was, it was. It was a crash and burn. It failed uh-huh. miserably. And he he's he's like scary because he's he's very an intimidating looking dude. So he's like great as the beast. And he like lives in the sewer and stuff like that. So it's yeah, just, it's. There were, there were things that were good, working for it and things working against it. Like it Phantom of the Opera like, vibe or One season's enough, guys. Very Phantom of the Opera, man. Yeah. Very Phantom of the Opera vibe to it. Then you can't forget Manimal as well, which was another... Well, let's not even go there, considering I was saying that was for a TV show with uh, well, practical it, effects. The late 80s, early 90s USA shows, man, they had all kinds of crazy shit going on yeah. on the channel. Forever Night, fucking... Forever Night... Like all kinds of nut, nutty shit, and Beauty and the Beast was right in that groove. Um, I'm, I'm this was fairly also during the-, the Forever Night Kid. Bam, that's what's up. Yes, yeah, I'm and a big fan like, of Forever Night. Wasn't, wasn't like La Femme Nikita, the TV show, kind oh, yeah. of around that? Group. Oh yeah, no, definitely not in that. That, that was a great show. Yeah, no, there, there was there was hits like Forever Night, La Femme Nikita. Those were dope. But then you had shit like Beauty and the Beast, which kind of just went, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? And the Dark Shadows remake. Don't even get me started on that shit. I love Dan Curtis, but Jesus Christ, I know he was like, well, no. Fine, you pay me enough. Basically. This is I real. I shared the same birthday as him. There you go. There you go. Ooh, I think that's... Why subconsciously, I think Trilogy of Terror is one of the best fucking made-for-TV movies ever. It is the best made-for-TV movie ever. <laughs> no, because if we can have stickers that say Fulci Lives, why can't we have stickers that say Long Live Dan Curtis? Yeah, if I made get 50 for 25 bucks all day long on Facebook. All day long, yeah. <laughs> you would, though. I would. More and more I think about it, I think the color yellow really does represent something because the house is yellow, which the kids kind of reside in. The mm-hmm. car's yellow, where they came from, and, like, the yellow and, like, the, the other guy that died with the dog, they were, like, innocent people for the most part that right. tried to do good. They rocked those yellow hats, so it was cool. The- well, it's yeah. really interesting how, how like, with production design, with, the, with color, how it comes into account, whether it's things that they want to do subconsciously or not. It's like in Jaws, you know, the only red you really see in that movie is just from the blood itself or the wine that they're drinking. So, you know, it's really interesting what production designers have to do when they look at, you know, colors and templates of what colors they should be working with and what what can work against them. I I think you're not, I don't think you're wrong, Jesse. There could be something subconscious happening here too, but I also think it is a functional thing because they have to keep the palette real neutral. (laughs) Real neutral on those that sunny, sunny, sunny light coming down. No, I definitely see it now. Yeah, if they if they went with something too bright, too too dark, it's it's gonna it's gonna stick out like a sore thumb and like sideways. No, we've had to reshoot a lot of stuff just because of like the sun. So I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks. It's, the sun's a bitch. The sun <laughs> is an asshole when it comes to trying to film in it. I'll tell you. And even Maddie and James, you guys can probably attest to this being directors. When it comes to wardrobe, 
And when it comes to certain designs and what the actors are wearing, how it, it's like, why do we pick that? It's like, it's, it's working against us, you know, or if something works, especially if you're shooting outdoors versus interiors. I make it, I, 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 I try to keep the palette of clothing on my actors as neutral as possible. Um, just so I can play, I'm not as restricted in after, after in post production with uh, color correction and whatnot. Because if you if you and Maddie, I'm sure you you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have certain colors mixed together on one in one shot, it's almost impossible to get it to balance out depending yeah. on what you're using. So I really try to go for, I know it's like the common thing, like blacks, whites, browns, like, but that's really where I try to keep it. I try to keep it like as neutral as possible so that I have more options with how wild I can get with the coloring in post. And, um, I mean, so I, I kind of made, at least on one last kill, I made, I made a sacrificial choice in that I had Carl, the, 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 the killer, in that white t-shirt and I knew it was going to be a nice big sunny day in the first shot. And I knew it was going to be a pain in the ass, but I wanted to get that color of all that blood on him later. And I really wanted the blood to pop. So I kind of made a sacrificial choice where I was like, all right, this is going to look fucking a little janky in the beginning, a little disorienting, but it's going to totally pay off later. So wardrobe, I, I don't think a lot of people think about wardrobe as such an important part of the process, but it really is. Look at that carpet. Very nice. Uh, my, grandma, my grandma had that. Yeah, I think my grandmother had that one too. Yeah. The corn you know, I like how the kids basically corned out the car. If that's <laughs> the intentions were. I'll destroy your car with. Well, I think those kids are a little corny. Hey. A, little, ah. a little cut out that. Yeah. Hey, come on. I was way for a point. I'm surprised. Yeah, it took that long for that joke to come out. I was I was waiting. I was waiting for something. I worked that in. I'll tell you, this episode is way lighter on corn puns than I thought it was going to mm. be. <laughs> it's true. I think they're going to cornhole her. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I, think that, I think that would be sinful. I don't think Isaac's down. I don't think Isaac's down with the cornhole. Well, one thing that makes me laugh so hard when I watch this, and I'm, I'm putting this out in there, out there now. Yeah. When he starts screaming, he sounds. Think of Eric Cartman from South Park. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, definitely sounds like Eric Cartman. Alanda. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. Yeah, and no. And him. <laughs> I definitely, yeah, no, there's a hundred percent. Well, I mean, just like look at his haircut. I mean, shit. I mean, he just looks like definitely Bible belt, you know, just, and he's so creepy. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it makes You're definitely supposed to be a simple people. Yes. Yeah. I gotta say, it'd be interesting to talk to Stephen King because, uh, for, for the fact that, you know, everyone jokes around that all his mo- all his books and stories you know, have, like, the certain same uh, archetypes. And you always have, like, the crazy overzealous preacher, or, I mean, in this case, it's an entire group of kids. 
And I, I want to ask Stephen, like, so, so what overzealous preacher, you know, punished you as a young child that, that, that makes you always use this kind of, you know, uh, you know, the overzealous, uh, uh, pretty much uh, asshole. You know, he, was bullied. he was bullied, I believe, so that probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he always has these over, you know, uh, homicidal bu- bullies, which, you know, is... But he also has, you know, the overzealous preacher that always, you know, comes up and, of course, you know, is always, you know, trying to force his belief on everyone and, okay. you know... Adult bully. It's like one and the same. You know what I mean. I think he. I think it's also a com. I think it's also a comment on just religion in general. That he he feels like a lot of religion is a cult, and I mean, I can't say that I disagree. Well, I mean, religion is a cult. I mean, the only difference between like an organized religion and a cult, honestly, is the years it's been practiced, how long it's been practiced, and the money behind it. Oh. Well, I guess. That's a bonus. <laughs> it's a nice yeah. game. Yeah. We killed Why not, Sarah Connor? Kind of break your chains. Break off that scarecrow. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, obvious, obvious design choice. Like, why is she being crucified on the corn? Like, why did it have to be that? Why couldn't she have just been, uh, like, nailed to a stalk of corn? He also obvi- has the crown of thorns, too. Yeah. They they were obviously going for a very specific nod there. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's also like in the short story when they come to the town, they they're, they're looking just to find parents, but they find like this book which basically kind of talks about um, the religion that these kids basically have started, and there's definitely, I mean, you, you can't say that there isn't uh, religion and it's not even subtext. It's basically, you know, in your face. So, you know, and I found out, it's, it's funny because in the box that I was thinking, okay, I mean, I, I'm curious what King thinks of this movie. He didn't like the movie. No. And I was, I was surprised by that considering how many sequels there were. It was back before his opinion could be paid for. Yeah, <laughs> and no one wants to hear. But if you think of you know, someone saying they're the creator, it's like, yeah, no, I didn't like that. Then it goes on to create so many sequels. Yeah. So you know, it's just a little bit of irony, I think, somewhere along the way. He hated The Shining. Yeah, I know, and and but Kubrick made that, you know, and that's where it's kind of split, you know, because The Shining is. An excellent movie, and there's no denying that. But you know, if even if King's not a fan, then so be it. That's his opinion because even though he may be the creator, and I think no matter what, these people want to make the best fucking product that they can, depending on whatever the story is that they're optioning and adapting to a feature film. And well, I mean, there are people he's going to love some, he might not love some, and that's fine because it's only his opinion. When it comes down to it. It's still like he's offering his opinion on the film well after, you know, he's already back in Maine collecting a royalty check, just going, yeah, yeah. man, uh, I didn't like it that much, but I love that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I, I mean, hey, look at it this way. I mean, if, if you at least he's getting paid for, you know, for it, yeah. 
I, I gotta say, I, you sit down and think of all the. I mean, his name it, itself sells movie tickets, huh. and I mean that's why they take like Chilling the Corn, which is you know, as you said, like a three paragraph short story. There's not a lot to it, but the fact that it's a Stephen King story. And because it's short, it allows you to, you know, expound upon it and and change it enough to, you know, make it into a full-length uh, feature film. Well, so, uh, Stephen King's uh, quote helped pr- propel the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great movie, and it had its own feet, absolutely. But that King quote definitely helped, you know, a little more than, say, if it was someone else. All right, I wanted to put this out to everyone here. Um, I was just thinking that if you sit down and think about it, most of Stephen King's uh, adaptations that became movies, I think like the, his shorts that originally were short stories that became movies for the most part are the better film adaptations. When they take a full novelized uh, Stephen King book, uh, a lot of times it falls short. I kind of think that's because, you know, I mean, when you take in a full feet, uh, full uh, novel, you know, you end up taking out stuff and, and, and trying to fit it in the, the length. But when you have a short story, you have the idea of it, which you can expound upon. I think you're it. absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I think and I think it right. could also be more personal, say, if it is an actual novel, because it's taking more time. And where it takes more time, you know, that's the longer you're with it. But when you can kind of turn them out in the short form, I agree with you, Hawk. Well, I think also a lot of it, too, is like when you're adapting a full novel to a film screenplay, it's a game of subtraction. Mm-hmm. You have to take things away. You you can't go into this three chapter deep dive into this person's past to explain why he's making the choices he's doing in the present, like King does a lot of the time. So you, you you've got to make it more of a cut and dry, straight ahead experience. Whereas with a short story, it's a game of addition. Yeah, it's like what can I expand on here? What can I embellish here? What can I bring out in this? So it does make a strong, I think short stories make stronger screenplays just for that reason, just because you're not taking anything away from them. And plus, Maddie, like, wasn't this around like the time frame when a lot of feature films were like usually 90 minutes? Because now it's amazing how it's surpassed and we're like two, three hour feature films. But back then, it's like you have the stories and you have to get, get them to 90 minutes where it's concise and it fits. Yeah, I, th- I think two hours is basically par for the course these days on a feature, which I, I don't necessarily like, but that's that's what that's what Hollywood's doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Maddie, is that something new behind you? What's that? Did you pick up something new? Something looks slightly different back there. I don't think so. No. We lost the movie? Looks like we lost the movie. Oh, okay, there we go. There it's back. All right, movie's back. 
it's 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 the uh, it's the uh, the the supernatural elements, you know, saying uh, that we're making too much fun of it. <laughs> it was, that was that was what was in the background. Whatever That's... the ghost that Bill Coyne seen in the background, dude, attacked the movie. It was it was he who walks behind the rose. Exactly. He was, not, he was not happy that we were not taking a shine into his uh, to his big screen debut. That's true. <laughs> That's what I think. Anyway. Who walks behind the rose? You almost like need to say like Isaac because he's just that. Even that voice he has, he just sounds like he's like a seventy-five-year-old woman. <laughs> he does. Box. Who's been chain smoking since she was six? Yeah. Need another pack of smokes. <laughs> All the screaming he does, you got to take into consideration the takes he probably had to do. Go yeah. pack, he's running. You need a few smokes and a few drinks. Oh, and I bet he was smoking and drinking doing on set. I bet he wasn't the happiest of people. Uh, I'll speculate that. I don't know for sure. But I think it's a fair guess. You know, he might not have been treated the way he probably should have been treated either. But you never can tell. I'm 24 years old and I'm playing a 13-year-old. Fuck my life. Yeah. Yeah. Herve, the Herve <laughs> Villages. His buddy yeah. died recently when he made this film. Uh, I do like the the corn though. The corn cross is a nice touch. It is. It is. It's just I was just noting the the obvious implications thereof. Yeah, you know that they were definitely. I think I de- I definitely think that there was an inspiration, like Coin kind of touched on earlier about like the cult happenings of the time. Cause I mean, most of the cults from the seventies and the early eighties, it was all offshoots of Christianity in one way yeah. or another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jonestown was, you know, they're trying to get closer to God. So they all drink poison Kool-Aid. It's the only way. Got him. Got him. Was it true that they were all wearing the same style shoe? Or was that just that's, embellished on? That's heaven's gate. That was Heaven's Gate. They, they were, were all rocking Nikes. Nikes. They were all rocking those Nikes before they ate the applesauce. Yeah, when they were what? Supposedly jump on the backside of the um, oh, asteroid boy. that was basically you know passing in the sky. I mean, it was, yeah, it, 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 it's so ridi- it, it's ridiculous what some of these people believe in these cults, you know, to save to serve their agenda. I guess you would say. I mean, it's a weird agenda to just like. Kill yourself and take fifty people with you. They but, you know. they were very believed. They they believed it at heavy. We've watched the videos of them, the way they're so happy to leave. It's very. I, I wonder what the psychology was behind the scenes on that because they they were all in on you know what I mean. There was no question that they they were down to do what they were going to do. They the absolutely thought they were hitching on a comet. Like, yeah, but that's like the power of brainwashing. I mean, brainwashing really isn't that hard to do if you actually really want to look into it. But I'm, whatever. I, I mean, I'm a personality that could easily do it, but I choose not to be that evil. Manson, um, had, yeah, Manson had LSD and could actually, was like good at talking to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what their deal was because they, like the Manson family had moments of be questioning things and Haley Bott people were fucking... Ready to go, baby. Ready to go. Yeah. At least in the Manson family, there were definitely people that were kind of like, stop, wait, what? 
Hold What's up. that sound? Everybody, look what's going oh, down. down. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. Do we have to pay copyright for that? <laughs> I only sang a little bit of it. Yeah, it's, it's more of a karaoke thing than anything. <clears throat> I think my favorite Manson story is when the director of, I can't remember what it was, he was, was a big stunt guy, he was, played a famous cowboy, came on set of, um, a movie that Al Adamson was making. And um, basically Manson was being a little too rowdy. And Adamson said, but get this guy off my movie set. He's, he's annoying me that much. And John Bud Carlos literally walked over, picked Charlie Manson up and walked him off set with a few of his groupies following him and said, you're banned from this set. Get out of here. Right. And then, I mean, that Al Adamson documentary is amazing. I don't know if anyone has checked out the Al Adamson collection, but it's definitely worth it. He made some crazy fucking movies. But I mean, the Corn Cross, I mean, even like um, in, in the beginning of the book, uh, when they hit the kid, they realize he has like a little, like, you know, dagger with, you know, corn and even like a little book that has you know the corn on it so it's interesting how they take um tools and mm-hmm. you know other things and still incorporate corn because it's just so prevalent in the title apparently their livelihood you know what i mean this movie is corn it's nothing but maize it's the blood it, it, blood of their it, area the corn is the life corn is life Corn is life. Rats of corn. Corn is life. Not the corn. Not the corn. <laughs> Different coat. <laughs> Oddly enough, I heard saw a porno that said the same exact thing not too uh, long ago. Oh, horrifying. <laughs> uh, excuse me, miss, but actually you're not supposed to put it there. <laughs> Step farmer, what are you doing? <laughs> Come on, don't lie. You were on boom. (laughs) I had the coin. (laughs) You were on the boom. I saw you on set. I saw when they pulled back the camera. You were standing over there on the boom. (laughs) Guys got to eat, dude. (laughs) Everyone's got to eat. Yeah. Transitions. I mean, you know, to go from day to night it just works. I mean, still. You think that coin's being held off camera right there? That looked like it was. Definitely was. Yeah, it's waving around. <laughs> yeah. That's just someone holding it like two inches off frame. <laughs> oh, now I see the color change. Get the wind machine. We need the wind machines, people. Yo, there was just a coyote outside. Ah, like right by my window. <laughs> Who read? Somebody read this story to this. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's like what a green, green, uh, green something with red eyes. Is that what actually it is in the book? Like the ghoul when they show it. Oh, they don't really. They don't show it. They don't. He doesn't make much of a description of what. Yeah, what it's, he, it doesn't get too descriptive. He just basically he does mention the redness of the eyes, and he talks yeah. about like the 
the uh, it's he almost goes like the Lovecraft ways, you know, like the the ungodly side of it. But he doesn't really doesn't go into the specifics of the design. No, very, very, very Lovecraftian. Very just the the very visage of it will drive you insane. Yeah, that that kind of look, that kind of writing at the mountains of madness style. (laughs) Very mountains of madness, actually. Very mountains of madness. That's that's a pretty accurate analogy there, sir. Yay for me. Hey, I'm not supposed to be up here on this. I'm supposed to be hanging other people up here. This isn't yeah. fair. And now we sounding like Eric Cartman. I'm not <laughs> supposed to be here today. <laughs> I was not supposed to be here today. Look at that. That's great effects of the time right there. That's, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. This is all rotoscope that basically was going up. I mean, it's, it's when it goes up into the sky and you see the clouds change. I, I love that technique of how they had the um, giant vats of water and putting dyes in and recording them. And, you know, I mean, they did that on like uh, Poltergeist and Ghostbusters. And so that was very of its time. And it's amazing the old school opticals that they did print practically especially with the frame rates and how they had to you know figure that out because yeah. you know, so, so much testing with optics before a lot of people could be like all right it's good enough let's uh, it was also it was also higher risk back then because it was, was on film so yeah and, and when it, and the difficult thing was bypacking all that stuff and figuring it out because you could only have so many layers you know projected at one time, and you think of like the, what the stop motion animators. I mean, the brilliance of them creating these rigs that could, you know, bypass so many frames by cooling, wow. and that was the secret. You want to keep that cool, you know, just bypassing everything in, and they would have air hoses. That was still a hell of a process, no matter mm-hmm. how you go. say something, Maddie. I'm here. Good. <laughs> I'm here. I'm... I was disgusted by all that blood pouring out of him. I was getting lightheaded. <laughs> Child abuse. Child abuse. Pretty much. He's, he's bitch slapping that kid. Bitch slapping him. It's about fucking time, really. Right? Bitch slapping your buddy, Maddie. I know. <laughs> Great Courtney Gaines. We worked with Courtney on uh, House Across the Street. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Is his mouth still really big? Who Courtney's? Yeah. It was it was when I was done with it. (laughs) (laughs) And when I met him, I think it retained its shape. Yeah. But uh it was funny because I said like, Yeah, I worked on a movie. We worked on on a movie together. Oh yeah, it was fun. Like house across the street. And I'm like, but don't worry, we didn't work any days together. I just came in for uh <laughs> you know, a day after the fact doing some yeah. corrective makeup. <laughs> and that was that was a fun day. That was a fun production. And once again, Maddie, thank you for bringing me up. I enjoyed no that. No problem. That kid looks horny. Yeah, he's all fucked up. He's 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 ready for love. That's that's what that is. It's like oh. tomorrow's my day, bitch. <laughs> well, he's possessed by he who walks behind the rose or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little. Uh... He's got a little demon in him. Yeah. 
I mean, there was there was some obvious like nods to the concept that it was the devil, but yeah, the pentagram seen. on the chest. Yeah, he has a little D, you know. <laughs> oh boy. Mm. So you're saying someone slipped him the D, the big D, got the big D. The double D. <laughs> that was not a corn cob in his pocket. No. <laughs> that was a devil dog. Ooh. Whoa. Ah. I always thought it would have worked a little bit better if they left it a little bit less, a little bit more ambivalent. Yeah. If they if they wouldn't have gone so hard at the this is Satan boogity 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 mm-hmm. kind of thing if they if they'd have left off the pentagram and all that stuff like it probably would have worked a little bit better yeah almost like but, a possession then really making it more devil worshiping your faces than what they actually do do yeah exactly yeah. which is why I think the I think the, in this case the short story does this is one thing that the short story does a little bit better is they do King does leave it a little more Open. Ambivalent. Well, even looking like people like Ray Bradbury. I mean, you know, even the short films that he did, I think adapted. But there's, I think, there's a lot more to play with, you know, in, in adapting a short film. No matter, I think I know we touched back on that. But what, now, what is he reading? What is he looking at? Is this a page from the book? The book yeah. I think it's the book of the corn. The book of the corn. Cast out the. Unholy corn spirit. Well, like corn, corn, great like corn holio. <laughs> Cast yeah. out corn holio. <laughs> I am the great corn holio. <laughs> you guys are want. You guys are really making me want to do a re-edit and take out Isaac right now. Just saying. I've been getting pretty handy at After Effects. I can make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> fucking whole last reel of the movie, it's just Beavis running around. (laughs) I challenge you to do this. Uh, If I get bored enough. (laughs) I'll make it easy on him. Don't worry. I I could go all TP and make bunghole and whatever you want me to do. But no, it's like, listen, we got this beautiful looking movie and we have this scroll and these props that these people are playing with and they're trying to get Cast this evil out. Linda Hamilton always looks confused, pretty much in every movie, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, uh, hey, hey, honestly, she was walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, she found herself on on the set, and then and then that was the same case here. She was going to get some corn at like a. a but listen, you can't a, say anything. she's like a Sigourney Weaver. You can't you can't go too hard on her, or she's going to kick your ass. And she's, oh. But she's awesome, and you know, I, you know, Linda Hamilton is just such a great actress, and just represented an amazing product of you know the eighties, you know, with all the, or even like the Terminator franchise. I mean, you know, it's just an amazing, you know, stuff that she's connected with by virtue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that um, Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver are the best examples of like heroic, heroic strong women that like I mean that's the thing I always find hilarious is when people start uh, big, making the big thing about like uh, Brie Larson being you know Captain Marvel being like the first woman superhero in the major Marvel movie it's like 
you know how many strong, powerful women in movies have come way before this? I mean, come on. You got aliens. You got, you got Terminator. I mean... Horror's done been doing it. it yeah. It, it Horror, been, horror's been having strong women in uh, since since the beginning of the con- conception, I believe. I mean, really? Like, it came... I, I, You know, on Culture Shock, we did a whole evolution of horror, like, the history of, like, every decade, and it really kind of came together like, in the 60s. You started mm-hmm. to see those really strong female characters. Um, but, like, the 80s, man, like, that's when it just, like, they just nailed it. Like, like, just, if, if only if it's just Sigourney Weaver and Linda Hamilton. Like, they, they, they're absolute grand slams oh, yeah. as far as, like, strong female characters go. I always thought it all stemmed from Fay Ray. In the Fuck original, yeah, it stemmed from Fay Ray. In the original song. Because that role, that was the first movie that could only be told from the way it was told with the, the techniques. But every single screen queen owes it debt because... She was the first, as far as I'm concerned. You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. And this definitely isn't peak Linda Hamilton either. Neither is Terminator One. It's it's Terminator Two. That's T two, man. T two. That's that's where it came. She was she was like fucking. They live, you know. She came here to kick kick ass and shoot bubble gum in that movie. She was such a badass. Very badass. Another badass woman from the '80s, Meg fucking Foster. Oh, oh yeah. they live. Uh, those eyes. Fucking terrifying. <laughs> I'm crying. These eyes I've never seen. Do the words and I fucked it up. Ah, <laughs> uh, we got a lot of sh- eyes will see into your soul. We'll we got a lot of. Corn. We got a lot of corn. A lot of corn going on. A lot of corn. Gonna fire it up. I forgot what is it? They're burning the corn, right? Yeah, that's how they end it. Ooh, popcorn! Popcorn! <laughs> Ominous cloud. I like Coming that. out from behind the rose. The Ominous cloud. And it's like different colored dyes. Oh, and I love that thing. That that's the tremor technique, where you basically very, um, very effective put, technique. Yeah. Very effective technique. You mm-hmm. put it on a flatbed and you you drag like a. A buoy or something that you have to avenge and put like mm-hmm. a little mound of earth with some Fuller's Earth back then, or real earth now. Considering Fuller's Earth is, uh, I think, one of those things that they pulled from the special makeup departments. Considering how toxic it was, just whatever, just not good. Mm-hmm. Silica. Yeah, I gotta say, love the Tremors movies. Fuck yeah! So good. Great guns, great creatures. Yeah, so Tremors, this was yep. pre-Tremors by a chunk. Yeah, this is, they, yeah, this is pre-Tremors by a few. They probably were inspired by, I mean, I mean this... Tremors yeah, was 1990. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, from what they do here and then what they do in Tremors is they obviously, you know, took the inspiration from here and built upon it. It might even be the same effects team. You know I mean? Maybe. It was six years beforehand, so. I'm a very big Tremors fan. Wow. <laughs> That's great. I got that one too, downstairs. Classic. When I was a kid, I thought Kevin Bacon was Bon Jovi. He I was better like, than Bon Jovi. Yeah. So much better. 
Hey, big. I want to. I want to just say that compared, in, if we're comparing filmographies, I think Kevin Bacon wins. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you look in these clouds, you can almost see at one point there's an there's an optical effect in there of like a face, and it just yeah. Just, Come on, see. It kind of looks like a butthole now. <laughs> a little bit of a butthole. Oh. It's a little puckery. Oh, and that was like an angel. Oh, that's cool. And that was supposedly he who walks behind the rose. Because he was Lucifer. That's why he looked like an angel. That's Satan! He should have more corns on his body as he's going <laughs> out. They're on his feet. I'm, They're corn on his feet. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in one of the later sequels, like he actually like sprouts up as like a corn monster. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of ridiculous, but I, yeah. Can we just note that the kid that they ran over in the beginning is still in the trunk of that car? Yeah, they never addressed that. No, they're Not like, much. "Oh, we're a happy family now." Mm. Yes, they stumble yes, in a couple uh, of weeks we later. <laughs> yeah, because they they hit the kid and they bring it into town to try to like you know find a parent. They can't find anything, so it's like, "What the hell?" The kid stole the car. What the hell are we gonna yeah. do? No, no, Matt, you got a point, though. A couple of weeks later, they're they're happy at home. Fucking, he pops the trunk to get his jack or something. He's like, hey, honey, remember that vehicle homicide? (laughs) (laughs) The dead kid's still in the trunk. How do we get rid of maggots? We got a shovel, right? (laughs) And bleach and lemon juice. A whole lot of lemon juice. Hell yeah. (laughs) Are you now our new mommy and daddy? No. Just don't feed us corn. We're tired of corn cakes and corn muffins and and corn everything. We've had too much corn. No, we're sending you to foster care as soon as we get to the city. (laughs) (laughs) And and daddy, please don't give us any corny jokes. That's all we ask. Stop talking, damn it. Let me drive. I gotta finish this vodka soda before I get behind the wheel. on. <laughs> it was the 80s. That shit happened all the time. This car needs another dead child. Why not? Eh, well. Hey, we can always make another. <laughs> the end. There you go. I, I mean... Hey, you! Uh, hey, uh, we can go into the corn maze and you know do it the old-fashioned way, if you know what I mean. Let's get it. So yeah, that kid is being left in the trunk. He really is. <laughs> they never, cool. not once, addressed that at any point in the film whatsoever. <laughs> that, that, it almost makes you think, like, what the hell is going on? Editorial. I mean, did they actually did do something and then they completely forgot and didn't even put it in or acknowledge it? Or, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's some wild cuts going on in this film. I think there was some wild cutting going on in this film, too. I think there's a wild, you know, other things going behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> there was, I, I mean, the substance abuse. It was the yeah, porn well, abuse. Well, uh, I mean, I, I think that the, I always thought that the editor was kind of hitting the cooking sherry anyway, but yeah. <laughs> but no, I think there's chunks of this film that got left on the floor for time. I really do. I've always, I've always felt that it's a it's it's a janky edit, which is probably its biggest detraction mm-hmm. out of the whole thing. Is there Billy in that edition you got? Is there an uncut version of this or just a theatrical? No, no. 
just yeah, I have the same version as Billy. It's just yeah. Like, no, but the cool thing is in the sequels. Yeah, they talk about the cuts in the U.S. versus the international cuts. They have those. That's cool. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. Like, if this was a situation, if they have something in a different country, that might be a little longer or whatever. But it's not like they included that on this. But, yeah. Um, well, interesting. Scream hasn't announced their specs, but they are doing a collectors on Children of the Corn one. Now the Arrow lost there. That's why that's worth so much money because Arrow yeah. lost. lost I'm, I'm waiting for a reanimator to revert back because that's still with Arrow, and um, I mean, I already got that edition, so it's like you know, who's going go to go next? Yeah, I have I have all the Arrow and reanimator stuff, so. I'm happy with those for the moment. I don't think there's much. I don't think there's much to be uncovered um, on the found, in, in the lost footage department for those movies. No, I love that Bride of Reanimator disc. I mean, you know, I love that second film and great. of the three, that's my favorite. Honestly, yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of commentaries, one of the funniest, great commentary to, to have a few drinks along with is the makeup effects commentary on Bride of Reanimator. They, they get everybody in there. They get Mike Deke. They get the late, great John Beekler. Uh, you know, I think Tony Dublin is in there. They talk about the late, great Tom Renone. It's an amazing time um, in that late 80s, early 90s of practical makeup effects when all these different makeup effects houses were working together. And even on, you know, productions like this, because sometimes it can be a little too much and they might bring on one or two other effects houses to help, you know, with these productions, even on some of these Stephen King stuff. Definitely have to watch that. Yeah. Or listen to it. It's, it's a good listen. Uh, it looks like it's the end. Look at that beautiful menu screen. I like that menu screen. What That's edition wonderful. is that, Maddie? How we just watched it on Blu-ray, like the single Blu-ray. Listen, yeah, that's, the bare that's, bones that's, one they put out. That was the one that that was the one that had that cover, right? <laughs> From the, the the main logo of the film was on yeah. the cover, basically. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, fuck. another one, one in there. Movie. What'd you guys think of Children of the Corn? It's corny. It's corny. <laughs> you corny hawk you corny i'm corny i'm corny isaac still freaks me out of course he's freaky it does have that freaks vibe to it you know but now that i know he wasn't a child it kind of makes sense that's the beauty of that guy if it was just a kid it wouldn't have been as creepy you say like um, the omen the omen kid has i don't think he has that issue but he has that face that's kind of Adult like, you know what I mean? Older than he is. Yeah. 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 Well, kind of reminds me of a hereditary with the daughter. Like they had to put makeup on her face and like put like random stuff on her face to make her look that way. And like I don't know, every time I see Isaac, I think of that character. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if this This, he was an influence on that. There's some some parallels in the characters for sure. Given given the end result of both of their demises, if you will. Yeah, you're right. So, James and Maddie, what did you guys think of this week's recording? I liked it. I thought it was good. You know, Children of the Corn, it's uh, it's a slow burn, as we talked about, but, like, it's good. You know, with the soundtrack bumping behind it, 
you know, it flows a lot better. Um, but still, yeah, it's a creepy flick. Uh, like where the, I like the theme of it. It's, uh, you know, I think what they had, what they had at the time, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? The material, you could probably make a way better children of the corn film nowadays. I feel with technology, uh, with some of that conjuring up of the spirit and stuff like that. But for the most part, I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? How about you, James? Uh, this has never been one that, uh, it's never been on my favorites. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, even in, in the grand scheme of horror, even in the, the, the smaller subgenre of Stephen King's work, this has never been a favorite of mine. I think, I think it touches on some interesting points, but like I said, the editing has always felt a little janky to me. Um, it was beautifully shot, especially, like I've said a couple of times, those big sunny almost the, all of the movie is in the daytime, which, you know, you, you, you don't see in horror films very much at all. Yeah. Uh, even, even today we can pretty much name like four or five of them on one hand that go down during the daytime and that are effective anyway. Um, so, I mean, it, it's definitely, um, on revisit, it's better than I remember. Um, 12-year-old me and 41-year-old me might have some com- a different conversation about this movie. Yeah. Uh, but all in all, I mean, you know, it, it's still a wicked effective story. There's definitely um, some underlying subtext with, like, the cult fever at the time. And I think it, 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 the ending definitely has a hell of a lot more of an impact than I remember. Um, and I think that pays off for some of the slower pacing for the rest of the movie is that, that, that last reel is, it gets real intense. And I think, I think that it brings it home. So, you know, I liked it a lot more than I used to. Yeah. What about you, Bill? I, I think it's interesting because I think where I am a little different where James comes from, um, I think it ends rather anticlimactically um, with the cloud because I don't think that's like the greatest effect, but I agree how the anticipation, the running, you know, the film does, you know, I think definitely pick up towards the end. It's just the very last (laughs) image, the optic, it just, you know, it's just like, Oh, come on. I thought it could have been a little bit greater because this is great chase that leads up to it. And, you know, I'll, I like the movie. I mean, I'm really glad I picked up the box set and just watched the three of them back to back to back and gone through all the bonus features and just learn what I can. And I really enjoyed this. I felt like it took two seconds and I can't believe we're already done because we were just talking all over the place, but I don't want to say we were talking all over the place because I like how we were able to basically get back on track with the movie itself. Cause we don't want to sound like we're deviating too much, and that's why I might be go to mention like a specific visual, trying to like you know get back on the film itself because you know I just we're we're doing this for the movie, you know, and so it's like I just don't want to steer off track too much, yeah. and I feel like I can do that, and I try not to do that. So you know, I like this because it's a great test as well to focus on our objective. Oh my God. Jess, what do you think? I think about like 
like better than last week as well. Like, you know, we were talking over each other a lot. Um, the movie. Like, well, the, really... movie, the movie, the movie. <laughs> what do you think of the movie? <laughs> oh, the movie. And, and then she yeah, says Billy, and I'm like, oh, shit, self-help, I know. Self-help group pretty quick. The, <laughs> no, uh... I, I love the gore in the beginning. <laughs> like, the storyline is, is good to me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I uh, did not hate it, that's for sure. Cool. And I love the dead kid in the trunk. Like, that just makes me giggle, so I like it more. Poor kid. Rest in peace. Nah, he was probably a dick. Probably. <laughs> He's standing on the road like an idiot. There's no R.I.P. There's no R.I.P. for him, unfortunately. Unfortunately not. Alex, what'd you think of the movie? Well, I have to say, uh, I think what what what's funny is what I think is the uh, best thing of of the movie is also kind of uh, hinders the movie which is the opening where you have so much of that stuff, the gore, the death, and all that, right up front, which is a great opening to really suck you in. But then, as we've all said, it kind of lags. So you're kind of waiting for, for you know, the, the action to pick up. And if, I mean, it does pick up at the end, but you do have to wait through a lot of just, you know, you know, kind of boring. B- boring, boring stuff. I think. I mean, I think it's a decent movie. I just think that, uh, as as was mentioned earlier about the editing, I think the, I mean, it had great visuals and all that, but I think the editing could have made it more uh, better in the transitions and kept things moving, because, like I said. The, you start off with such a bang, great beginning, and then you kind of just kind of hang out on the waves until the end when there's another big, you know, climatic ending, and everything else just kind of like you're just waiting for the action, and it just kind of is a standstill, I find. Mm. I agree. Plus, like, the beginning was, like, the most gore, in my opinion. So, like, it was right in the beginning, and then you're kind of waiting for something more at the end, and there's, like, really nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That opening must have been pretty brutal for the time. I know it wasn't the 60s or 70s, but still, I think you don't expect to see that coming, you know? Mm -hmm. The MPAA must have had a heart attack. Yeah. (laughs) It's good for him, though. I wonder what drug they used to, like, in the beginning. It was, like, a powder. Cocaine. (laughs) <laughs> Pain doesn't do that to you. <laughs> Corn. Corn. The drug we talked about happened. I forgot there was even a drug in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They poured something in the coffee, so when they gave it to like the adults and oh. stuff, it yeah, maybe yeah, it was like yeah. arsenic or something. It's probably just arsenic. Yeah. yeah, it's arsenic's too slow. I would say, you know, I would say rat poison. If anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely like some concentrated arsenic, but yeah. yeah. They would have had to use quite a bit more than what they poured into that coffee. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but something like a, a a powder usually would be like a rat poison, a compound, most likely a heavy toxic compound. That Peach. makes sense because they showed the rat earlier. That could have been could have been some comet. It was the same <laughs> stuff from uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah. <laughs> that killed that killed them a hell of a lot quicker than. Rat poison would have. True. Believe that. So that was fun. That was a good ride. Uh, I did not stretch out Courtney Gaines's mouth. 
I'll, I'll put that out there. He's a sweet guy and a very talented actor. <laughs> uh, but I, if he wanted me to, maybe I would help him out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was uh, that was another great journey with the Dead Kids of Derry. Uh, next up, Firestarter. You know? Woo! Oh, I'm Vicky Burroughs. I'm Nancy Bolko. 